They've worked in and around the wrestling business. They've studied thousands of hours of wrestling. And now, they bring to you the greatest legends, Hall of Famers, creative minds, and both current and future stars of pro wrestling. They are... Primetime Pod and Chad, the two men, Power Trip of Wrestling. This is the two-man power trip of wrestling. I am Chad, and today's episode is brought to you by Bombas, the mind-blowing athletic leisure sock with a mission to be better. And with that being said, I bring in my tag team partner, bushwhacking tag team partner, a sheep herding tag team partner, and that is Primetime John Paz. Primetime. Hey, buddy, how are you? Whoa. Yeah. Hey, Chad. How you doing? I'm doing very well, mate. And with that being said, very obnoxiously, um, our guest today is Bushwhacker Luke, a newly minted 2015 WWE Hall of Famer alongside his longtime tag team partner, Butch. The Bushwhackers are now Hall of Famers, John. What did you think about the crazy antics of Luke Williams? He was great. I mean, he was a lot of fun. It's funny. It's kind of like um, growing up with a bushwhacker. You're like, man, these guys are nutty. Are they really that nutty? You know, can they really be that crazy licking people and, and uh, whoa, yeah, and all that crazy stuff. But, yeah, he's, he's pretty down to earth. He, he's a smart guy. Obviously, he spoke several territories, but he was real cool. But as soon as he first got on, it's funny. You, you, you get the whoa, yeah, you get the the old Bushwhacker Luke. It was very cool to get to talk to him, especially considering he just went into the WWE Hall of Fame this year. Yeah, and when we recorded this, uh, we were really fresh off. We're probably about, I guess, a week and a half off of the actual Hall of Fame, and uh, there was a lot of controversy going on about uh, the content of a few speeches and acceptance speeches. Uh, you know, most notably, uh, Shawn Michaels not being very happy with uh, management and also the very, very oddly short and not very detailed Kevin Nash speech um, and the Bushwhackers, which is, I guess you could say oddly enough, were the most highly praised uh, speech of the night, which is uh, kind of funny, but we were really fresh off of that. And I think Luke um, really summed it up that it was just such a, a magical night for the two of them and that they've been together for so long, and it was just great to be on that main stage and get that accolade from the WWE. Yeah, it's funny. You wouldn't think, like, oh, who's going to have the best speech? You're like, oh, well, it's probably Nash or, you know, could be whoever. But you, you don't necessarily think it's going to be the Bushwhackers. And pretty much overwhelmingly, they had, uh, ever as everyone said, the best speech of the night. They were funny. They were cool. They, you know, they involved uh, Teddy Biasi. They involved Bret Hart. I mean, it was a pretty cool speech. Uh, I guess them and maybe Medusa had the two best, but given all the disappointments of uh, all the other speeches of the night, I mean, the Bushwhackers definitely made it the Hall of Fame worthy of, you know, the second watch that night, if it was just for their speech only. Yeah, and I'll tell you, from our point of view, too, um, you know, preparing for a uh, newly minted Hall of Famer, uh, you know, writing out questions, and obviously it's one of those, you know, the Bushwhackers are one of those things you don't really need to get down and study tape and, you know, uh, really go back and research all the old matches. But um, definitely questioning, how did you come up with licking people was one <laughs> of, I think, the oddest occurrences in uh, two-man power trip of wrestling podcast history. But, hey, you know what? He had a hell of an answer from uh, <laughs> from what I remember. And, um, you know, he uh, he was great. And uh, that's pretty much, uh, I got to sum it up as that. It was just, it was a lot of fun. And he gave us uh, some great insight. And my favorite part with a lot of the old-timers is the Andre the Giant story. And that pretty much is going to dominate the end of the entire episode. Yeah, that that was really cool. It's funny with a lot of these old-timers, you know, especially guys that are 
were around him as much as, as the Bushwhackers were. You're always going to have a good Andre the Giant story. And it's funny. We're like, oh, you know, as we're, as we're winding down here, and then he's like, nah, I got, you know, I got a few more minutes, mate. I want to tell you another good Andre the Giant story. I mean, so it was pretty cool. We thought, you know, we're, the interview was basically almost over, and uh, we got a couple more cool Andre the Giant stories, which are always fun, and, and that's almost like a standard question for for uh, an old timer that wrestled that much around Andre, it's like, hey, you got a good Andre story, and lo and behold, they have a great, funny story about Andre, or or just a really cool story where you're like, man, he is such a legend. Yeah, he is a legend, and now he's a Hall of Famer, and we are so honored to have him on to talk about just a, such a such a unique career that spans just generations and and decades and territories. And uh, our best to to Luke for coming on. And before John winds us down and gives all the pertinent information on the two-man power trip of wrestling, we just want to say that the big Glenn Kelly uh, Eternal Tranquility charity event scheduled for June 13th will now be at the Beachcomber in Seaside Heights. But all of the big names will still be in attendance, and that's Kurt Angle and Lita and Mick Foley, and uh, Sonny, and the Million Dollar Man, and Jake the Snake, Hacksaw Jim Duggan, Mick Foley, I think I said him, I'm not sure, but there there he is again, and the Native American Tatanka, we're going to have a special guest with us, we will get that in the next few weeks, uh, out to you, as well as broadcasting live, and that's June 13th from the Beachcomber in Seaside Heights, New Jersey, you can go to Glen Kelly. Dot com for more information, as well as going to our website, tmptofwrestling.com. And, John, before we throw it to Luke, what else do you got to say? The Glenn Kelly Show is going to be a lot, a lot of fun. And come over to our table, which will be sponsored, of course, by Pro Wrestling Tees. We're going to have some giveaways. You're going to have a fun, awesome guest. We might get a little hardcore. And uh, just have fun and uh, come say hi at our table. But... Before you do that, go to our website, tmptofwrestling.com, at tmptofwrestling.com. Also, you can check out the two-man Power Trip of Wrestling on Facebook. You can like us there. Please subscribe to us on YouTube. Also, please subscribe to us on iTunes. Leave a review. Tell us what you think. Give us some feedback. We'd love it. And also, the Twitter machine, at WrestlingPal and at Two-Man Power Trip. Always got fun little anecdotes on there, fun little stuff from the two-man power trip wrestling. And, hey, check out bombas.com slash TN percent off the greatest sock of all time. You want a great pair of socks, you get the Bombas. They're literally the world's most perfect sock. Again, that is bombas.com slash TNPTOW. You get 20% off your order. And besides that, you also get a pair donated to the homeless. So every care you buy one gets donated to the homeless that's the mission over at bombas which is just a great mission because the number one requested item down at the homeless shelters are always socks and bombas coming through in a big big way and you know we came through in a big way and we gave out some bombas as well to some of our guests and i gotta say the feedback was phenomenal bushwhacker luke emailed me he loved them scrap daddy adam pierce emailed me he loved them a steel of them, Austin Idol of them. I mean, on and on and on. They're the most comfortable sock in the world. And besides that, they have a great mission that they're going to give one pair to the homeless for every one that you purchase. So that's bombas.com slash T-M-P-T-O-W, all lowercase. You get 20% off. So right now, let's send it off to Bush Whacker Luke. Whoa! Yeah! Our guest tonight is a 2015 inductee into the WWE Hall of Fame alongside his tag team partner, Butch, comprising the now newly minted Hall of Fame tag team, the Bushwhackers. But this distinct honor is just a small part of our guest's legendary career. And tonight, we welcome Bushwhacker Luke Williams to the two-man power trip of wrestling. Thank you for joining us, Luke. Uh, It's bloody great to be here, mate, and be on your show, two-man power trip of wrestling. I heard about it for a long time, but now I'm right here on the show. Uh, we really appreciate you coming on, and it would be hard to pass over the first topic, and that would be the the 2015 WWE Hall of Fame. 
What are your thoughts about being enshrined amongst the greats in the history of the business in the WWE Hall of Fame? I'm going to say one thing straight away, mate. It was a long time and a rough road. But we're there with the greats. And as if a lot of people looked at us, upon us as the, as the bushwhackers, two comical guys, that, and two old comical guys that um, got in the business and just entertained the people. They don't know the road that we went down, mate. First time I put my boots on was 1962. Butch and me started tagging up in 66 but we, but, uh, in New Zealand, but we started hitting the road. What I mean by hitting the road is going out of the country in 68, 1968. Then in the 60s, we wrestled names like Killer Kowalski, Andre the Giant, Peter Marvia. And if people don't know who Prince Peter Marvia is, that's The Rock's grandfather. Yeah, that's uh, that's quite an impressive list of, of guys, and that's only just a couple. That's only a few, now, when, that's only a few mates. That's only a few oh, just, from the 60s. There's a lot more. So when you walked out on that stage with Butch and you guys looked out at that crowd, and was that like, you know, thinking back to when you guys first got started, is that something that you never would have, you know, thought yeah, no, of, never, this kind of stage? Mate, never, never thought, never thought we'd end up in that. You know, when we started, there was no wrestling on television. When we started, Butch and me, there was no television in New Zealand. And I'm not, wow. I'm not talking about wrestling television. I'm talking television. Sunday nights or Saturday nights, you'd listen to the radio, so the soap operas on the radio. Right. Wow. That's uh, hey, listen, it's a, a heck of an evolution. Yeah. And as we had the wrestling shows, you do radio. You were, you'd go to a town in the morning, be on the breakfast show, you know, in the town on the radio, and there'd be posters around the town, and to promote it, you'd walk the streets. You know, so that you'd be seen in town. You know, at lunchtime when everyone was off working in the main, the old towns, there was no malls in those days. The main streets in the town was where every everybody congregated. You know, that's how it was those days. It was gone a long way. Anyhow, when we walked out on that stage, mate, and looked out and saw of our some of our friends, our early friends from the seventies, in, in in the audience, like Roddy Piper. There's a, there's a friend of ours from the 70s. You know, it was great to be there on that stage and looking out and think, at last, we're, sitting, we're on the, the biggest platform for sports entertainment. Without a doubt. Definitely your colleagues and comrades and years and years of friends sitting out watching you be enshrined. And when you got to the building and you uh, before you headed out, now, did you get to talk to Vince? Uh, and did he have any advice for you guys heading out there? No, no, we, you know, we, we talked to him, Butch and me talked to him with Terry in the morning. You know, we, we, uh, Terry's a neighbor of mine, Hulk Hogan. So we, we, <laughs> talked, to, we talked to Matt and, um, you know, we got back to when we first went in in the morning. We, we, we went back over old times. We were what it was like in the 80s. You know, it's a completely different ball game today. Now, when you signed with the WWF and you became the Bushwhackers, you basically went from a scary, brawling team in the Sheepherders to a lovely, lovable, jokey almost team in the Bushwhackers. What were your thoughts on that? Uh, you know, when they first said to us, you know, when we went up there, Vinny said to us, he said, I'd like to make you guys the good guys. And Butch, as we said in that interview, in, in the Hall of Fame, Butch got up on Vince's desk. We didn't say Vince in the Hall of Fame, but Butch got up on Vince's desk and his nose was about 15 inches from Vince's nose. And he said, if you can make these faces good guys, go ahead. And Vince, Vince turned around and said, check out the mugs on my top baby faces. Hogan, Jake, Hacksaw Jim Duggan, they're not the prettiest. <laughs> so, so you know, it was no biggie that you know, we went to that we realized then. And they said to us, too, he said to us at the time, I want you between the um, the, the moon dogs and the sheep herders. But I want you good guys. And then, and Butch said to me afterwards, he says, the moon dogs have been on USA Network for the last five years. We've been on Ted Turner's. It was WTBS those days. 
you know, WTBS. We've been on that off and on for 10 years. So let's create something different. Hence, hence we came up with the uh, gimmick, you know, the the uh, marching and the uh, licking and all that BS. Vince gave us a new name, but um, we came up with a character. Where did you get the idea for the licking? And, like, how did that come about? Uh, no, Butch, i got to give it to Butch there. He came up with that, you know. And that, uh, but, uh, but he, you know, he, he, we always were creative. When I first came over to North America in uh, in 72, we had the, with Sweet William and the Brute, and they had to change his name from the Brute because the Brute Barnard had been all over Canada and the States. So they changed his name to Crazy Nick Carter. So it was Sweet William and Crazy Nick Carter. And I led him around on a collar and chain. That was I was doing that from about 69 to, to 73, 74. You know, leading him away. So we, we were doing this. We were doing the Beauty and the Beast gimmick at the time. And then now, you know, we, we changed that gimmicks. You know, when, when we went back to New Zealand in the mid-70s to do the first television shows and that we went back as a dream team. You know, we went back in New Zealand as a dream team, which is which is later on in life. I hear see Vince Vince had Greg Valentine and Brutus the Barber as the dream team. Yes, very true. Where'd yeah, you get so, the idea? Where'd you get the idea for the arm wave? That awesome bushwhacker. Now we was. You know, the, the sheep herders, every time we went outside the ring and that, with the baby, and we were on the floor, you know, when we cleared the ring and we're out on the floor, we swung our arms up and, and whoa, to the people. Hey, that was the woe and yay we had before. We always had the woe and yay, but not like as the heels. But we swung our arms up in the air to sort of scare the people, you know what I mean? When, when you're ringside, at the barrier. So well, we just... Uh, Decided to put that into a baby's face thing, you know, knees up high and swinging the arms, which which is a which is what the people remember. So I'm still traveling around the states, working. Last weekend I worked in Toledo. Weekend before San Francisco. The weekend before that I was in Baton Rouge. Different times everywhere. People remember me for 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 one major thing. The um, Royal Rumble 91, I still get people come up to me, you're the guy that marched out, got put out within 20 seconds of march back. They remember that, and they remember us for the head licking and the arm swinging. They don't remember <laughs> wrestling. They don't remember wrestling. You know, Ric Flair, they, they don't remember wrestling. They remember the, whoa, you know. <laughs> so true. People remember, people remember the, the character. Now, I heard uh, Butch was mad um, at you about the Royal Rumble. You know, he quick I, Yeah, yeah. At that time, yeah. He had, he went out before me, and then he was out there for 25 minutes. And then and then I, I went in and out, and um, we got the same pay. <laughs> That's life, <laughs> mate. Yeah, that was a good talking. That was a good talking point, too, in the, in the we We had a lot of stories, but... Um, the, the uh, Hall of Fame has gone on too long. We were just touching on the iceberg of stories we had, you know? And, oh, yeah. Uh, and we had a lot of stories of that, but we just brought up a few. The, the real truth part about Bush being 1966, I started in 62. Bush didn't start in 66 because he had a good career in rugby. You know, you know the rugby, the, the, you know what rugby is, do you? Like, oh yeah, of course. Yeah, you know, it's not gridiron. It's you know American football, NFL. It's rugby. Anyhow, he the first year they needed someone to, for the for the tenth um, anniversary of Samoa, and Peter you know, Peter was always in and out of New Zealand. He, was, he had a home in New Zealand. Matt. We're talking about the Rock's grandfather. Anyhow, Butch went over the tenth anniversary, and that and um, Butch was as green as grass, as he said. Uh, but he didn't tell the he didn't tell you the full story. When it was time to get the heat, Peter said, "Throw me out of the ring." And there was chairs, and there was a bottle there. The bottle, when the chair hit the bottle, the bottle broke, and the glass jammed into Peter's leg, and he started bleeding. 
and and, he, and Peter said to Butch, kid, grab that fucking bottle and look like you're cutting my leg. You know, grab that glass. Bottle. Butch wouldn't grab it. He said, and he screamed at Butch to pick up that glass. And that's when the smile was. Remember, if you listen to Hall of Fame, Butch says, I was lucky to get out of there alive. Well, that's what he means. You, you know what Samoans are like when they're on the warpath. You, you don't know. You know, um, San Francisco and Auckland, New Zealand. Well, I think Auckland, New Zealand, has got the biggest. You know, we we gave we've got a lot of Samoans in New Zealand. A lot, a lot of Islanders, Samoans in New Zealand. We gave them their independence. Well, the British did. And that's when they went. One part went to American Samoa. Anyhow, so uh, they were on the rampage when Butch, when Peter got up and back in the ring and the blood was pouring out of his leg, those Samoans were ready to fucking come. And Butch said, and Peter said to Butch, you know, we're going to just let me control it. And they fought back to the dressing room with Peter fighting Butch, and Butch was backpedaling. Otherwise, Butch, if, if Peter... Um, if Peter just covered Butch and left Butch in the ring, they would have come in the ring and um, killed him. You know what I mean? Oh, Anyhow, the, 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 they're only supposed to be there for one show. And, um, the, of course, Peter knew what he was doing because he'd been around for a long time. And he two days later, they had a return match, and that's when Butch said, you know, I was like a seagull. And the whole match, I was flying. Peter came in, <laughs> and Butch flew for the whole match. And, and Peter got his hand raised and he got out alive. Had a voice getting killed. Yeah, and then the story was the Stu Hart's You know, I had to say some young wrestlers. These weren't young wrestlers because we're talking about you mentioning kids. But I said uh, some young wrestlers were thrown in the ring. The guy that threw these kids into the ring was Abdullah the Butcher. We're not talking about the Stu Hart story. If you remember what I said, the. The first night, we got disqualified against the champions, and that mm-hmm. was beating them up. Next minute, four young wrestlers were thrown in the ring. Well, they weren't wrestlers. They were 10, 12, 13-year-olds, 14-year-olds. <laughs> These were kids. And Abdullah was, they were bleeding. Two of them were bleeding, and he threw them into us. We knew Abdullah from before, from New Zealand and Australia. He threw them in, and he told us to beat the, to beat the hell out of them. So we did. We put the boot to them. Two of them were bleeding, and the two champions were laying there, and there was four kids. The four kids and the two champions were laying there when we left, and we, walked, we hadn't met Stu yet. And we walked back to the dressing room, and there was Stu. If you know how Stu was, you've heard about how he was. Yeah. <laughs> what are you doing on my kids? Those are my kids in the ring. Stu had, eight, <laughs> Stu had four girls and eight boys. He's, he's got, still got six boys alive. You know, Dean died of liver disease many, many years ago. And, of course, God bless him, Owen. We all know what happened to him, which is very sad. And that's it. another thing we can say, too. Who's, who wrestles Stu? Butcher Me works. Butcher Me and Dynamite. Dynamite Kidby. This is before Davy Boy came in. Worked against Stu Hart, Stu and two of his sons. Brett, Brett, Brett didn't start till 79, 78. And Brett and, and I think it was Bruce. We actually worked with Stu in Edmonton and Calgary. Now, who can say they worked with Stu? Who, who, who does they still working and say they worked with Stu Hart? Yeah, there's not many people, unfortunately, who can still say that. But, you know, you look out at that Hall of Fame crowd and you see Brett and you see the Samoans were very well represented. And the the great thing was is how they tied in the Sheep Herder legacy by having Johnny Ace be the one to induct you guys. So now when you added Johnny Ace to the fold in the mid-'80s, how was it being out yeah. there with him at the Hall of Fame? Oh, it was great. It was great, mate. It was great. You, you know, as you know, we started Johnny in the business. He told the story. We were working for NWA and Dusty, and Johnny was in the school in the school training, and that he says, "I'm going to give you an education. You got to become the you got to become the flag bearer." We had flag bearers. Johnny wasn't the first flag bearer. Butcher me had American flag bearers everywhere we went. You know. Not not early, not nineteen 
not uh, 81, 82, but 1980, we had Buddy Rose. You know who was Playboy Buddy Rose for Vince yep. Senior? And then mm-hmm. later on for Vince Junior, he was Playboy Buddy Rose with a blow-away diet. I don't know whether you ever saw the, the powder gimmick, the blow-away, the fat diet. Anyhow, <laughs> we had Buddy Rose. Buddy was very smart. He knew to, to, to get more heat on himself if he carried around the New Zealand flag. And... Um, and uh, deny, you know, to America. He wasn't. He didn't want to have anything to do with America. And that's how we always had. We always had an American carry our flag. We, you know, gave the kid to whoever was carrying our flag a lot of heat. Plus, we would say, look, we've even got one of your own carrying our flag. He could never win a match till he got the new, till he become under the New Zealand flag. So we used that to our advantage everywhere we went. Yeah, yeah, definitely, and it was the old, the old, sto- the old story is made, of, and it was said to said on that we were hardcore before hardcore became a name brand. Oh yeah, quite possibly more hardcore because some of those matches, if you can find a sheep herders match, it's it's definitely if you pop in a sheep herders match followed by a bushwhackers match, it's two different teams. But talking about your speech just one more time because I, I have to say it, it was by far it was the best speech. Uh, one of the most heartfelt, I think, that they've actually ever had at the WWE Hall of Fame. But there were other speeches that were kind of put into question um, later in the night. Did you get feedback afterwards about the reaction to what you guys actually had to say? Well, we didn't have to say that. I put the whole speech together, mate. You know, I, these are the stories I pulled out, and I said to be, to be we had a few more, but they... They, the, the, the Hall of Fame had gone on too long that we cut it down to that, to that, and that, you know, to cut it down to that length. Otherwise, it had already gone nearly four hours, three and a half hours. And um, and we came straight after the, you know, the across the corner, which was all about the cancer. So it was, it was, you know, the people were depressed and down. It was sad. It was a great thing doing that crush O'Connor thing. It was a low, you know, brought it down low. And um, so we, we we actually lifted it up again with a bit of humor. Yeah, it was awesome, awesome speech. Now we're talking about Johnny Ace and we're talking about the Sheep Herders and how you guys were basically hardcore before hardcore was cool. So i got to talk about the Sheep Herders' awesome feud with the Fantastic. What are your memories well, of shooting with uh, Rogers and Fulton? They made, they were two little guys with big hearts. Two little guys with big hearts. And, you know, we had 37 barbed wire cage matches with those barbed wire cage matches in 45 days. Oh, my God. You know, that was, and uh, it was a, we did a, that was the UWF. And now, and now Vince, Vince owns all those tapes. So I'm hoping to see, you know, I'm hoping to see him put some of that stuff out. He owns all the tapes from Turner. The funny part is the second or third weekend for um, NWA in 1980, we won the Mid-Atlantic, or was it called the American Tag Titles. And that at the time, Jimmy Snooker and um, and Ray Stevens were the, tag, the world tag titles for the NWA. And we had the next belts. Which were nicknamed the pacifiers, and that we had them at that time. And um, Vince has got all those tapes from from uh, all the all the tapings we did for Turner, you know, at WTBS or where we did in house shows. Plus, he's got all Bulwasa's tapes. So he's got a lot of footage on us. Did you enjoy working for Watts in the UWF? Uh, well, that's the only territory we actually walked out of in our life. We felt oh. we weren't. We were last match every night. It was a, it's a long story there, mate. I came in there to take the book over. I was Booker, and you know what a Booker is—the guy that writes the TV and oh, yeah. books all the yep. town and runs the shows. Those these days was these days in the 80s and 70s. There was 25 territories in North America. Maybe 23. I'm count- that's counting Stu Hart's stampede, counting the first territory we came into, which was Grand Prix, 
there's about four major territories running seven days a week across Canada, and there was territories. Texas, there was three territories, believe it or not. There was the, the, the Funks up in Alamarillo. There was Joe Blanchard running out of San Antonio. And then there was Crystal and Eric running out of Dallas. And they were all where every territory was running seven days a week. They had television. Anyhow, getting back to the Booker story, I was the Booker of Puerto Rico for Carlos Colon, and that, you know, we and I had to, I had my crew from Texas there. I had Brody and Abdullah, same guys I had in different territories. I took with me, and then and then they called me up to to, to go to Booker Bill, Bill Watts' territory. So I finished up in Puerto Rico, came to Bill Watts, and um, they had Dick Slater booking at the time, and. Um, they said, we're going to finish Wendy and take over. They said, we're going to finish Dick Slater and um, and you'll start taking the book. You'll take the book. And um, they wanted to keep Dick Slater there. Everywhere you go, a new booker comes in, you get you get rid of the old booker. You know what I mean? He doesn't mm-hmm. stay. He moves on somewhere else and you take over. And Dick Slater was an old friend of mine from, from years ago. So... From Florida, when I first came to, you know, maybe 19, 1980, when I worked first time for um, for the Eddie Graham. And uh, so I didn't want to, you know, they said he's staying, so I never took the book there. And that was a mistake. Two months later, or a month later, they brought in the guy from Dallas, um, uh, Mantell. Ken, Ken Mantell. Oh, Ken Mantell and Ken Manville brought the Freebirds in. So I'm getting to the story now. We were doing, so the Freebirds were the tag team there. We were a tag team there, but the Freebirds were the Booker's main tag team from Texas. So we were the last night, we were the last match every night against the Fantastics in, in the barbed wire cage. And that, and um, I found out that the Freebirds were making more money with it than us. So that's what I, um, that's what I, that's the only territory I walked in all my years, and that, that's the only territory I walked. Oh, wow. And we, we left them, we were still doing barbed wire cage matches. I got my paycheck, I called them up, I said, this is our basis. And that, after that, I didn't come to the next show the next night. Straight away, they said, oh, we need you, we need you so bad. We'll pay you up front before the show every night. So we knew as soon as they wanted to get rid of us, when they say that, as soon as they wanted to get, as soon as they wanted to finish, as soon as we finished the program with the Fantastics, they would have pulled the plug and they would have fired us. So we didn't come back. You know what I mean? Yeah. Oh yeah. Yep. I could definitely see that. Yeah. So that was the only territory I worked. But I've seen Bill Watson then. He came up and worked for Vince. You know, Vince was. Vince, you know, bought Jerry Jarrett for a short time, put Bill Watts in there to clear house, to clean house. You know, you know what I mean by clean house, right? Fire everybody? Yes, you know. This was in WWE. Over different periods of time, Jerry Jerry Jarrett worked for him, cut down the payroll. Bill Watts came in. And then, well, you know, this was behind the scenes. And, that, and that's what, you know... At least the heat doesn't go on Vince. Vince is still the good guy. You understand? Yep. Oh, yeah. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Makes, so that's what happened. Sense. So I saw Bill Watts then, too. You know, there's, he, he must have, you know, he just he realized it. And I told, at the time, I told Grizzly Smith, who was the who was the main agent for um, for Bill Watts, and I told him, you know, we, 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 this, uh, we're we not making the money we should make. And the reason... And every night, it would, the houses were three-quarters to full, you know, every night, night after night, seven days a week. So uh, that was our that was our stint for UWF. Anyhow, later on, yeah. we'll, we we ended up back there. We ended up back with uh, UWF because um, Crockett's bought them out. Crockett bought UWF out. What was it like working uh, for Crockett and participating in the Crockett Cups? It was good, mate. It was a lot of... These two territories, 
you left home and the more you worked there, and they'd like you to be in shape. Those territories there, you did 3,500 miles a week, you know, on the road. You lived in the car, maybe so, so, some days you would do short, grab a flight and use a rental car for two days and then fly back to where you were. They would, the average week was 35, so you would get up in the morning around 10, you'd, you'd rush to the gym, get a workout in, or something, you know, 10, 11, come back, eat something, pack your bags, 2 o'clock, you're on the road, at 2 o'clock, you had big trips all the time, you only had a few close towns, and then you'd be getting at 4 or 5 in the morning, 4 in the morning, and that, and um, getting 4, six, get 6 hours of sleep, you know, and um, on the road again the next day. You know, people don't know this. I'm not being a pig-headed, but the, the day, they've got to, it's easy, you even when we went to Vince at the start, it was a different thing. We were out of a car, but we're flying. You do 15 towns, uh, you do 15 towns, you do three days off, and then another 15 towns when we start when we started for Vince. And at those days, now and again, you may get uh, you may get LA and uh, San Diego. So you'd have you fly to LA and you work that one night, and you drive down the the rental car to San Diego. But most most days. You, you never got a double. That was a, you, you always look forward to those double shots like that. But most days you're at, a, at an airport every morning at, you know, 7 or 8 o'clock, especially in the winter, you're on the, at the airport early because cases was uh, delays with the air, airlines with the snow and that. So it was every day, 15 days in, where, 15 days in a row you'd be in an airport, the airport, the rental car, the hotel, to gym, back to the arena, back to the hotel, Sleep first thing in the airport again the next morning. They haven't got it today. These today these guys work three or four days a week. That is very I know, very. I know, I know Cena. I know Cena and the guys like that. They've got a heck schedule because they're out there doing promotions for the company all the time. You know Cena, Cena and a couple. There's a handful. You know that they don't have days off. You know may have. May get may get a couple of days off in every two weeks. You know what I mean? Yep. Because they're doing they're out there doing press and promotion for upcoming. When you're not not working at that night, you'll be you're doing press and promotion either for a, an upcoming pay per view or whatever you got. Or you're doing a convention, you know, toy convention, Hasbro, whatever it is, whatever is needed, or or a um, dinner of the year, sportsman dinner of the year. So you're doing that all over the country all the time. That's how it was with us, with Vince. The days that we thought we had off, we were doing conventions, just what I said, toys, toy fairs and all that. Now, before... Uh, oh, I'm sorry. sorry. No, that was, I was going to say, uh, before we let you go, we, we just uh, know of uh, a guy you've worked with in the 70s and the 80s, and you crossed paths with him a long time. And you were talking about some legendary wrestlers, and you had a great story about the high chief Peter Maivia. But one guy we wanted to hear a story from you about was Andre the Giant. Oh, Andre came to New Zealand in '69 the first time. New Zealand is a is a British colony, you know, and it's the bottom of the South Pacific. And that and uh, Andre, we got always well, got a lot of talent from Europe, a lot of talent from Europe and from England. We've got American guys. You know, one of the American guys that came out there early was Dick Byer, you know, the destroyer, mm-hmm. who's, who's still doing appearances. I'm still with Dick, and that Dick's in the mid-'80s. God bless him. But Andre came into New Zealand in 70, so I think it was 70, uh, 68, 69, 350, a big seven-footer with an afro, maybe seven-one <laughs> with an afro, big curly yeah. bottom of hair. And he was an athlete, too. You know, let me, let me tell you spots we did then. We both kick him in the stomach. We did a lot of handicap matches with him. And 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 and, and he was with tag with the New, New Zealand promoter who just died last week, Steve Rickard. It's all over the news at the moment. You know, the New, the New Zealand promoter who ran Singapore, India, and, and Bangkok and that in the 60s and 70s. And he ran India too. He ran it in the 80s too. He just died two or three days ago. I don't know whether you've ever heard of him. Steve we definitely Richard, read it. Yeah. 
Yeah, it was all the media. Anyhow, Andre he was always in that. Here's a spot where he used to kick him in the stomach and and get both get a top wrist lock. You know what a top wrist lock is? Mm-hmm. Yes. A top yep. wrist lock, right? And he used to, when we kicked him, we could get it on because he'd be bent over. We put it on, then he'd stand up straight. And he'd walk around the ring with his foot, you know, we were a foot off, we're at least a foot off the floor, hanging off his arms, you know what I mean? And he'd be hanging. And he used to swing us both power, swing us to the left, swing us to the right, swing us to the left, and the fans would be going nuts. Then he'd, then he'd open up, so he was like a, like a cross, and then... And he used to swing his arms together and would hit each other, tuck and drop to the canvas and roll out the ring. And the fans would be going bananas. Simple shit like that. There was, <laughs> we did stuff with Andre that was so simple when you think of it today. But the fans was unbelievable. Andre, anyhow, we, knew, we met him there. So then when we went to our first territory, it was called Grand Prix in, in Montreal. It was it ran. It ran Quebec, Toronto, um, Ontario, and a bit of Manitoba. So it was a big promotion. And it came over into Vermont, too. You know, the upper town into the States, the upper parts of, of Vermont. Right. When we arrived there, we didn't know how, we, you know, we were working in one town a night, and Andre was on those towns and that. And, of course, he looked, he took care of us. And another guy, too, from the 60s, who, we were, who was the who was the big star in Australia? Oh, I have to say, Jim Barnett had WCW in Australia. He, if you know who Jim, remember the ever heard of the, the promoter Jim Barnett? Yep. Yes, indeed. Yeah, well, he was the one who got Ted Turner to put the the, the arresting on the cable, and that uh, he 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 ran he opened up Australia in '65, and Kilikowski was the heel that popped it wide open for him. You know, he did the bit. He's the one who popped it wide open on a talk show. He did a little gimmick. Anyhow, so Wally, Wally and Walter Kowalski and the Giant were in our first territory in North America. So Wally t- took us under his wing. We were heels, and we drove with him all the time. So we bought a car, and then late at night when we got back to Montreal, and that is when we were in close towns. You know, Andre used to tell us where to meet him to eat. He, had a, he knew all the restaurants. He'd been in there for six months. And, of course, being Andre the Giant, everywhere he went, he was a, he he was accepted big time. And we used to sneak in, in the restaurants, and he'd take care of us. And the funny part is, mate, we worked with Andre and Edward Capontier all over Quebec and Ontario as heels at the time. We, we, we were called the Kiwis. And then the last match that Andre was involved in was, before he went home to his father's funeral, was us against the Earthquake and Tugboat. They were they were a tag team for WWF called Typhoon, Typhoon and, and I forget, Earthquake and Typhoon. Mm-hmm. And the, 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 the natural disasters. That's what they yeah. were called. And, yeah. that, and that was, and he was in that corner. He'd, he'd had knee surgery. He was on a cane. And if you can still go on online and 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 um, YouTube, you can see his interview with us. You know, for for those guys for that match, and he was in that corner for that pay per view. And then we, of course, we got beaten. And then then he went home to his dad's funeral, and six weeks later he died over in France. Yeah, now I can tell some stories about him on the road. Boy, <laughs> coming back. <laughs> Coming back, we were right up in the top of the States, not Alaska, um, oh, way up top of Canada, I forget now what it's called. Uh, and we're driving back to Montreal. It's about um, 12, hours, 12 hours up, 12 hours up. We'd be, there was a red, there was um, Dominic DiNucci, I don't know whether he's, uh, he was in WWF. WWF when the dad had it, and that there was him, there was um, Mad Dog Vachon, and um, anyhow the Giant. We were all up there. The Giant was with his manager Frank Vawa, and we were with two other people driving back from way way up there, uh, top of Canada. We stopped at a gas station, and on the way back, 
three hours on the road, the giant and his manager had drunk 72 cans of beer. Andre would just grab, put his hand around it. That was two two mouthfuls, you know, a can of beer. Anyhow, they drank 72, maybe two and a half hours. We stopped for gas at this gas station. There were some kids, this is about 3 in the morning, 2.30 in the morning. I guess the bars were closing, and these kids were fucking, these kids were wired and, and mouthy. We pulled in, and they came in in a, in, in a Volkswagen. What are they called now, Bumblebee? You know the, what are they called now, the round, a bug. the old Volkswagen. Yeah. The bug. Volkswagen and bug. Yeah, they gave us some mouth and that, and that, and they went into the the truck stop. And I guess too, it was a truck stop, but in a gas station where you could get a little food. You know, it was in these, it was in Canada, way up north. And that so they'd give us some lips and that. Andre, Andre had already had a few drinks. He, the kids went inside after giving a slip. He came out, grabbed that Volkswagen, and on the side and took. Pulled up and tipped it on its side. How's that? <laughs> That's how strong that by that was raw string. That's unbelievable. Yeah, now, 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 this is 73, 72. We came into the Canada in 72. This is about 73. By now, he's 500 pounds. 60, 80 was 350, but he was still a kid. In those in those five or six years, he really matured and got bigger. You know what I mean? Oh yeah, yep. Great one of the greatest class. matches, one of the greatest matches I ever saw was another giant from Canada called Don Leo Jonathan. He was six nine, three twenty five, three fifty, and he could do kip ups. And him and him and Andre did a curfew match in the Montreal Coliseum. You know with the He's a midnight curfew and that. And they did drop kicks, kip-ups, everything. Two giants at it. And it wasn't a giant match. Slow mode. These two guys moved around the ring. And they were young and moved around the ring. Yeah, Don Leo Jonathan, is, it's a, he's a specimen. If you take a look at some of the old footage and uh, some of the pictures of Don Leo Jonathan, honestly, if he, if he had come down the pike 20 years later, he'd have been main eventing against Hogan. He would have been on all of the, uh, the big WWF cards, but, you know, it was just a little bit after yeah. his time. But, Luke, thank you so much for, for joining us tonight. This has been so much fun, and I know it's been a great walk down memory lane for you as well. But please tell us yeah. where we can get a hold of you and where we can find you online. Yeah, all right. Well, you can get a hold of me if you. If you I know what part of the country are you in, mate. We're uh, we're East Coast. East Coast, Northeast. Yeah. Yep. yep. Northeast. I I'm in the tourist capital. I'm on. Before I give you my uh, uh, media info, I'm on Clearwater Beach. I have a I have a fitness center which you can look at Clearwater Beach Fitness right above Hulk Hogan's memorabilia shop. T-shirt shop on Clearwater Beach. Awesome. He works out of my gym when he's in town. He works out of my gym every day when he's in town. And that my um, Facebook and um, Instagram is Bushwhacker Luke, which you see. I have a lot of Instagram and Facebook followers. Everything's full. And that and my um, and my gym is ClearwaterBeachFitness.org or .com. Now your website, awesome. my old website is bushwhackerluke.net.com, but it's old. It's been there for 10 years. You can still see it, but my new website is getting built at the moment. But anyhow, Great. Well, I'm on, if, you're, if, you're, if you're holiday, you get snowed in up north, you know, Clearwater Beach was named number one beach in USA in 1913, in, in, in 1913, in 2013, <laughs> I, I, I was becoming a dinosaur, I was becoming a dinosaur for a minute there, mate. <laughs> That's yeah, fantastic. So, you know, I'm right there on the beach. And another Thanks, thing too, yeah. mate, I worked, believe it or not, you may have heard the kid Dupree, you know who was the, the, the Frenchman, Dupree? Yeah, Rene Dupree? Rene, well, his dad was Emil Dupree. I worked with Don Leo Jonathan, early 70s. Butcher Me worked with Don Leo Jonathan, Emil Dupree, right across the Maritimes to sell out houses every night. 
So I believe we, it. We, we, actually, we, we actually worked with Don Lear, and it was a pleasure working with him. Yeah, I'm going to tell you, just to see, you know, the footage, he's just, he, he was, he's such an impressive sight that you're totally right. An Andre, Don Leo, Jonathan match. My goodness, I can't even imagine, especially with the Andre Afro, how much, <laughs> how much that played a part with the two standing next to each other. Yeah, and now I gotta, before you go, mate, i got to tell you a match that uh, the guy who started the, the uh, cheat sheet was the first, um, you know, doing, the, doing all the stuff, the scoops and that from the West Coast. Remember the guys used to send out sheets? I think it was nice. Uh, Meltzer? Yeah, Meltzer. We had a match that he calls in the in the in the eighties in, in the decade in the top ten or twenty tag matches of that. It was us against the Fan, us against the Fantastics. It was in the it was in the Crockett Cup in nineteen eighty six in the in the New Orleans Superdome. Look at look that up. Oh yeah. He quotes he that as one of the top tag matches, but either that was blood and guts. But it was a 20, 25 minute match. We were we were the semifinals in the um, in the Crockett Cup. I remember yeah. it well. That was an awesome match. He gave it five stars. Uh, uh, Melter five yeah. stars, and one of the greatest matches of the eighties. He called it. Yeah. That match was awesome. Okay, maybe yeah. And I, 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 I prefer you know I enjoyed. I enjoyed being in the, the bushwhackers, of course, because you know you have. But when you're a heel, you 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 could you can get the people to stand up and sit them down. You beat the you, you we we had that the talent that we could get those people wanting to get up and come to the ring, and then before they fucking got, really got them to that point, we would let the baby faces come back a bit, so we shut them back down. We loved being heels because we could, we could control how the people reacted. Yes, very that was out of the kids, doubt. The kids, the kids today don't know that they haven't got that psychology. You know, not being nasty, I'm not knocking them because there's a great talent out there today. But those, today it's a television audience. Those days were, you know, it was, it was house shows, and that's right. what you had to work with house shows. Totally. Well, thanks a lot, Luke. We really appreciate it, man. Have a great rest of your night, and look uh, look for our special gift in the mail, my friend. It's uh, it's going to be okay. on its way. Okay, mate.